Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 23. We're in a uh, series moving through this psalm verse by verse. Let the shepherd lead you is the, is the uh, name of the series. Here's the key concept for today. Let the shepherd lead you to rest. Lead you to rest. We are a tired people. But God wants you to get some rest. And he will lead you to rest if you let him, if you follow him. David says that in this psalm. Follow along as I read just the first two verses. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God wants you to rest so much that it says, He makes me lie down. Have you ever seen a child fall asleep in a strange place or in a strange pose? Children in the stress-free life that they have as they're in peace, they, they can bring themselves in activity right to the brink of falling asleep and then just kind of boom, off they go. I've seen it happen at the dinner table. I've seen it happen in the high chair. I've seen it happen on the floor, just boom. When they're ready, they just go to sleep. You don't hear of a child fretting over their retirement plans or worrying about their college exams. No, when, when it's time to sleep and their body tells them so, off they go. But over time, that changes. The cares of the world begin to creep in. The worries that we face, the anxieties, crowd out our ability to rest. In the New Testament, the word worry, the word that we translate from Greek to English as worry is actually a compound word. And the word means, it's, it first says to divide and then mind. To divide the mind is worry. Worry and stress splits up our thoughts. It divides our energy level. Part of our mind is on what is right before us all the time. Part of our mind is on what's coming tomorrow. And then part of our mind is on what we regret about yesterday. And it all adds up to worry and anxiety. But the good shepherd knows that that pushes rest out of your life, and he wants you to rest. Max Lucado, in his book, Traveling Light, outlines the consequences of a condition, and he asks the reader to guess what the condition is he's talking about. Here are the consequences. It afflicts 70 million Americans every year. It contributes to approximately 38,000 American deaths each year. It costs the U.S. economy $70 billion in lost productivity. 64% of te teenagers blame it for their poor school performance. It's most severe in adults ages 30 to 40. And treatments for this condition range from herbal teas all the way to prescription drugs. And the condition I'm talking about is insomnia. The inability to sleep. Maybe you suffer from that or have at some point. Many do. And it's not that we're not tired. We're tired. But somehow we just can't get rest. It's the worries. It's the, it's the anxieties that keep us up. And we toss and we turn. We roam the house. We drink warm milk. And we get back to bed. And if you're married, you ask the dumbest of all questions in the middle of the night. Honey, are you asleep? I was. But the shepherd wants to lead you to rest. The shepherd wants to bring into your life the conditions that will allow you to rest. Green pastures, quiet waters, 
See, a restful life is a life of a person who knows that God is in charge. Philip Keller, the author I mentioned last week, he writes about this psalm from the perspective of having been a shepherd for many years. He says, there are four conditions that need to be met before sheep will lie down and sleep. These are the requirements. They need to be free from fear, free from friction, free from flies and bugs and insects and irritations, and then free from hunger. Those four things. If they're hungry, they're going to want to wander and find some food. If they're bothered by bugs, they won't settle down. If they're at odds with one another or they're afraid of a predator, they're not going to relax and go to sleep. And I read that list and I thought to myself, man, I'm just like a sheep. I need all those things met too. I mean, have you ever had like, like that one mosquito in your room? You're, you know, where's that bug? You're going to be free from those kinds of irritations. But the sheep can't create the situations that bring about their ability to rest. The shepherd has to do that. The shepherd has to do the leading and the, and the directing. And so our verse says, he makes me, he leads me. It's the action of, of the shepherd. Parents, have you ever made your kids go to bed? My mother was famous for saying this in the evening, I'm tired, you go to bed. If you make your kids go to bed at night, sometimes over strong objections, you know, I'm not tired, I need a drink of water, why do all these other people get to stay up? How come it's light outside still? All those objections that kids say. But if you make them go to bed, you're acting very much like your heavenly father at that moment. He makes me, he leads me. It's the shepherd who's taking the action. It's the picture of Still waters and pastures, you picture that sheep at rest, their woolen bellies resting on the tall grass next to a pond of fresh water, and the sheep collectively yawn and say, all is well, and off they go. Because the shepherd is in charge, and the shepherd loves them. He makes me, he leads me to rest. Do you know which of the Ten Commandments is the longest? In other words, the which of the Ten Commandments took the most words to say? It is not the commandment about murder or about adultery or any of those things. It's the commandment to rest. It goes like this, Exodus 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now he could have summed up that commandment in one sentence, make sure you rest and worship on, on the Sabbath. That would have been it. But that's not how God wanted to word that commandment. He wanted details in there. He wanted specifics in there because he knows that when it comes to this kind of thing, we look for loopholes. He knows that the business owner will read a commandment to, to, uh, to cease his labor on one particular day, and, he goes, and he'll say, somebody has to work. Somebody has to keep the money coming in in the family, so, so, uh, so somebody, has to, somebody in the family is going to take my place. And God says, no, not your son or not your daughter. Okay, well, then an employee. i got to hire somebody to work on the Sabbath. No, no, not your manservant or your maidservant. Well, maybe I can train a chimpanzee to do the job. So, no, no, not your animals. Closing all the loopholes 
and he gives us the big picture. Nothing crashed and burned when I rested, says God, after creation. Things didn't go, go all haywire when I rested, and things won't go all haywire in your life either. If you rest, take a Sabbath day. A restful life trusts the shepherd, that the shepherd knows what he's doing. David was a shepherd, and he was a shepherd in, in the context in which, obviously, he's writing these words in the Middle Eastern style of shepherding. And it's interesting to see that there are different styles of shepherding sheep. In some parts of the world, the shepherd pushes the flock forward, kind of in, from behind, telling them where to go, rounding them up, so to speak. But in the Middle East, the shepherd leads the flock. He's in front of the flock. He's not telling them where to go. He's saying, come, come this way. And the sheep follow the shepherd. David has that picture in mind when he says, he leads me. Because in that situation, the shepherd sees what's coming next. The shepherd sees around the corner and over the bend, and he recognizes the dangers that are there, the obstacles that they will need to avoid, the things that they will be able to enjoy. The shepherd understands all that because he's out front. And the great shepherd of your souls is out front as well, out front of your life. He goes before us. Moses was handing off the uh, the leadership of the nation to Joshua just before they went into the promised land. And he said this in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God goes before us as well. And where does he lead us? He leads us to green pastures. The tomorrow that's keeping you awake that you're worrying about, he's before you. He's already there. You can trust Him. God's already recognizing what you will need in that day that you're worried about. Green pastures, still waters. It strikes me that green pastures is not the norm for Israel. Israel is a desert country. And so green pastures is the exception. There's an assumption being made by the writer, David, writing the psalm. The assumption that he's making is that not only is the shepherd leading the sheep, the shepherd is doing some work to prepare these places that he will lead them to, that place where there's water. But in order to get the green pasture around that water, the shepherd's going to need to do some work. He's going to need to remove some rocks. He's going to need to dig some ditches, let the irrigation flow a little bit so that the, the area around that can actually be watered and be lush with uh, vegetation. See, he wants what's best for the sheep, so the shepherd is willing to work hard to find the right place and to do the work to prepare the place. All of that is in the imagery of the psalm meant to transfer to us. The shepherd has the places in mind he wants to bring you so you can rest. He's doing the work already so that you can find peace and rest. And he invites the sheep to lay down, to take it easy. And I imagine the shepherd... A great deal of satisfaction looking over the, 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 the flock of the sheep, re relaxing, knowing that they're well taken care of. A sheep that has a restful life trusts the shepherd. But also, if we're going to have a restful life, we have to follow the pattern of the shepherd. And that pattern of life that our shepherd, the shepherd of our souls has given us, is, has a pattern of Sabbath rest. A Sabbath where there's rest and there's worship. We desperately need it. We live in a world that is 24-7, go, 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 and it's costing us. In fact, yesterday, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, 
Yesterday's Wall Street Journal, big article, what we've lost in rejecting the Sabbath. And it's all about how the, the, the design that we're seeing in, in human beings needs a day of rest. This is not a religious article, but it just shows you that what God's truth is true. And we need what God has provided for us. At one point in this article, it says, a world without a Sabbath is a world without a soul. We just kind of run past our souls sometimes. We're so, so in pursuit of things. Let's remind ourselves again, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We remember the Sabbath day as a day of rest. It means take a day off. Don't work every day. Make this day different. We make it holy by setting it apart for God in worship. This is not an aimless rest that we're called to. This is a God-centered rest. And we're meant to follow this pattern. Six days of work, rest one. And the rest is to be regular. It is to be scheduled. It is to be pattern of life. Don't look for loopholes, remember? Don't say, okay, I'll rest, but I'll make other people work. Uh, don't, don't say, that, well, I'll partly rest. It's a blessed day, a day that God has built in the pattern of human life. And interestingly enough, the very words that they use to describe what happens on the Sabbath is interesting because back in Genesis when God works the work of creation and then it says God rested, the word there is the word Shabbat from which we get Sabbath. And that word means to cease. God ceased his labor. So part of resting is stopping the work, the usual work. But here, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses and he asks that, in that, in that commandment to rest, the word is not Shabbat. The word is Nuah, which means to roost or to settle down on. It's kind of like the, the poem, The Night Before Christmas. Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for our long winter's nap. It's that, it's that imagery. So you put these two words together, and this, as these words go together, they're giving you a full picture of what a Sabbath pattern in your life is really like. It's ceasing the normal activity, stopping just the, the usual flow of day upon day upon day, and then settling, if you will, stabilizing yourself on the solid ground of God in worship. Keep it holy and rest. And Moses reminds us that God rested. He set us an example. And the, <clears throat> the example that we're meant to follow as a pattern of life is to bless and to balance our lives. God didn't need to rest after he was create, created all that is. It's not like he was winded. But he wanted to give us an example for how we should live. Because the Sabbath is not a luxury. It's a necessity for us if we will live a rounded life. Jesus said that. In Mark chapter 2, he said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was created, this pattern is God's idea because he knows that we need it. This rule, if you will, is for our blessing because of what it accomplishes in our life. And so why is it important? What does it accomplish to build into your life a regular pattern of Sabbath rest? It accomplishes a few things. First of all, it affirms the work that you do all the rest of the week. It puts it in balance. In Genesis 2, God, it says this, By the seventh day God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. 
Once again, he wasn't winded, he wasn't tired, he didn't need necessarily to rest for himself, but what it did was it put it like a, a stamp of approval on the work that he had just done. The heavens and the earth were complete, and it's appropriate now to step back and to celebrate and to rejoice and to admire the work. When you rest, when you see rest that way, the pause to look backwards and appreciate what God has you do in life, we all need that. Because as finite creatures, we need to interpret our work and see its meaningfulness and see it's, that it's, it's uh, something of value. And that perspective helps us do that. It gives meaning and significance to what we do the rest of the week. Because if you don't rest and you ne- never look back on your label with this labor with a sense of perspective, pretty soon your work, and I mean now your employment, becomes all about the dollar, all about money. And that's the only value, in a sense, that you see in what you do for most of your days. But there's more value than that. There's the value of what you're producing. There's the value of the relationship. There's the value of the part that you're playing in the organization, the impact you're making in many ways. All of that is valuable. You need to pause to look back and gain that perspective. Secondly, the Sabbath separates our large commitments and values from our smaller, lesser values. Every day you are bombarded with all kinds of messages calling for your loyalty. Care about this. Be a part of this. This is happening. You should be there. This is an event you don't want to miss. This is urgent over and over again. By what standard are you going to separate out what's really important and what's not so important? God designs one day a week in the pattern of our days so that we deal with this question. We realign our values and we're saying, you know, what's really important is getting aligned with God. Not as a somber thing, not as a drudgery thing, but as a joyous thing. Singing praises and being with God's people. In Deuteronomy, the uh, Ten Commandments are reiterated. Given in Exodus, but in Deuteronomy, they were reminded, and it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, Exodus 20, when when he gives the Ten Commandments, he reminds us God rested after creation. Here in Deuteronomy, when they give the Ten Commandments again, It's not connected to God as creator. It's connected to God as rescuer. God is powerful enough to create all there is and powerful enough to rescue you because of love and power. And he proved that love and power in the Exodus, bringing you out of slavery. And it's just as true for the children of Israel as it's true for you. You who know Christ as personal Savior, you have been rescued. We say we are saved. Saved from what? From the consequences of our sin. Saved from the bondage of our sin nature. Saved to a new life in Jesus Christ. And that one who loves and protects you in that way says, now you can rest. Because rescue and protection is provided. And we come on the Sabbath, our Sabbath day to worship the one who saved us for all eternity. This is a rule, but a rule that liberates, lifts us up out of the everyday. Thirdly, our, our Sabbath day rejoices in the resurrection. Every time I talk about the Sabbath rest principle and pattern that God has built into life for us, there's somebody who's listening to me talking and saying, well, that all sounds real good, Pastor Mark, but I'm ha- going to have to see you afterwards because you know you're doing it on the wrong day. 
There's somebody who's saying that in their minds right now. Because you're not doing it on the Sabbath. You're doing it on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. It's an interesting thing. The principle and the pattern and pattern of the Sabbath continue. But very early in the life of the early church, the followers of Jesus Christ in the first century, the actual uh, worship services moved off of the, the seventh day onto the first day of the week. And the reason they did that was on purpose. It wasn't just an accident to happen to be free that night. It was because that was the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week. And they were central, and central in their mind was honoring the resurrection. We are people who worship a resurrected Savior. And so already in 1 Corinthians, when, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, instructing them about how to do certain things, particularly in that case, taking their offerings, he says, on the first day of every week when you meet. Already he expects that the church is gathering for worship on Sunday. That's already the case. It's not like we just, you know, we just can't figure out when the Sabbath is. It's, it has shifted. And it also shifted not only for that reason, but because there was a growing separation in the followers of Jesus Christ from the practices of the Jews. Many of them were former Jews. And so it bore witness not only to the resurrection, but to the transformation in their own life. And that's why we have the Sabbath principle and practice, but we do it on Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day. But it's still important to build that in because honoring the Lord's Day, this pattern establishes corporate worship and rest as a fixed point in your life, a fixed point in your schedule because you have a schedule, right? You don't live your life without a schedule, do you? Do you get up in the morning and say, well, you know, maybe I'll go to work. Maybe not. Maybe I'll go to school. Maybe I'll pay my bills, right? Things that are important to you, you have on a schedule. You, you schedule it in. And that's exactly how it should be with the principle of Sabbath rest and worship. It, it should never fight for a place on your agenda, of your family's agenda. If you wake up on Sunday morning and you say to each other, well, do you feel like going to church today? You're, you're behind the eight ball already. That should be a given. That should be an assumption because there's a battle going on for the priorities that you will establish in your life and in your family's life. I put it this way. Make worship a certain center of your week. This is the certain center. This is what we will do. And it's not about the rules. It's about establishing that what is really important and making this pattern that God has given us for our blessing something that we actually do instead of kind of do. Carving out one day that's different, that is quieter, that is more peaceful, the day in which we worship. Let the shepherd lead you to rest. And what I mean is this. Not only treat the day of worship as a little different, but, but I mean see it as something that's unique in your week. It means decluttering your schedule for Sunday descheduling your Sundays so that, so that make church and worship happen, but then there's a breathing room in your day. There's rest in your day. There's reading. There's listening to music. There's taking walks, being together as the family, playing games as a family, enjoying each other, and having that reconnection that we all need. This is part of why this pattern matters. 
because God knows that it is our instinct to find loopholes and run past it. And so he gives this to us and says, do this. The Christ who calmed the sea wants to calm your hearts. He wants to bring you as a shepherd to green pastures and still waters. And he wants to do that in the pattern of the Sabbath because he knows that's best for you and he loves you completely. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us, you know us, you want what's best for us, and in you we have hope. Not only hope for this life, but hope eternal. So, Lord, we pray that we will continue to listen to your advice, live by your pattern, seek to do what you tell us to do, and in you find rest for our souls. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.